0: Hey guys, it's Raya and this is Was That Good For You, a podcast all about sex and relationships. We cover everything from kinks to long-distance dating and everything in between. Today's topic is actually a Q&A and today's guest is Liz Goldwyn. Liz, thank you for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, would you mind telling, I mean myself as well as the audience, a little bit about what you do, your how you kind of got into the sex space as well as your podcast?
1: Sure. So I am the founder of the Sex Ed which is a multimedia platform for sex, health, and consciousness education. Uh, we have a website, thesexed.com, where you'll find essays on everything from anal sex 101 to orgasm breathing to period yoga, written by experts, um, a curated bookshelf, and our podcast, which we've done three seasons of now, which I host. Um, and I've been in this space for since I was 13 years old, actually. I My first job wow. was... As a paid intern at Planned Parenthood when I was 13. I love that. <laughs> um, and I went on to write two books um, about sex. The first one about the last generation of American burlesque queens and the advent of striptease. And then my second one, which was fiction, was about sex work in LA in the 1890s. And I'm currently working on my third, which is really a guidebook for today um, and my philosophy on integrating sex, health, and consciousness.
0: Oh, I love that. So I feel like you've done like pieces throughout the years. It's cool that it's kind of like coming full circle and you're doing like a modern now.
1: Yeah. You know, I found I actually bought the domain names in 2008. Um, And when I was 13 working at Planned Parenthood, I was organizing their media library. So this was pre Google, you know, you couldn't like Google how to give a good blowjob and, you know, any of this. You actually had to read. Um, And there weren't, There wasn't a lot of information out there and even though I worked in this center literally where people were coming for information on sex people weren't really equipped around me to answer the more emotional uh questions around sex and vulnerability and self-love and self-esteem all these things that play into the way in which we view our sexuality so you know even back then I was like one day I want to create this comprehensive database for people to go and find this information
0: I love that because I was not necessarily a late bloomer with ex- experimenting with sex, but very much a late bloomer with being open about it and talking about it and being interested in that way. I, I probably will blame my uh, my very conservative Cuban Catholic upbringing for that. But um, So it's interesting that you were kind of at the forefront of that, and you've kind of like known since the beginning that this was what you wanted to do and what you wanted to talk about.
1: Well, you just said two very interesting things that I was literally just writing about right before I hopped on with you. Um, You said the word late bloomer, so you categorized Mm -hmm. yourself as a late bloomer. Um, And I'm curious, what does that mean? Is there some standard age that we're supposed to have our sexuality sexuality figured out? Um, I don't believe so because – we're a sexual being from the time we come onto this planet until we leave it. So if we label ourselves a late bloomer, it means that we think like we've failed in some way, like we should have had it together by this point. So whatever point you're at on your sexual journey is great. Let's just look forward as, as to what we have to explore. And the second word you used that I thought was interesting was blame your parents because the reality is your parents probably didn't have the skills to teach you this information because they didn't get it either.
0: Definitely not. So we're
1: like looking to people like our parents, grandparents, our religious or cultural backgrounds to give us healthy sex education when – how the hell are they supposed to do that if they don't have the tools?
0: That's very true. And I think that that's kind of what is so important about what you're doing because like you said, it's – I think in a lot of ways, not just sexuality, we blame our parents for a lot of our uh, our emotional baggage. but um, I think you're right. It's like if they if they didn't have the tools, how are they necessarily supposed to give them to us? And then for someone like me who like a step further, never even experienced, you know, as, as not great as it might be, even public school sex ed because I went to private Catholic school, it's like there need to be more, you know, places and resources for young people who need these questions answered.
1: Yeah. All, people of all ages really because you would be surprised how many people I talk to you know, in their forties or fifties or sixties who are saying, Oh, I should have had who called themselves a late bloomer or say yeah. they should have things figured out by now. Or, you know, maybe they're just getting into kink or maybe they're just trying anal or maybe they're, you know, their previously monogamous relationship. They're opening up to other partners. Yeah. So I feel like that's what's exciting about sex is that we can just look at it like we're kids. And we're learning, you know, we're we're getting a whole new set of toys to play with. Maybe we don't even know what kind of toys we want to play with because we've never seen them before.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like there's so much – to learn, and it's kind of almost changing every day in some ways. And there's always something new to try. And I think that's what I personally love about it as someone who is, you know, still learning, of course, but then also talking about it. It's like I learned something new on every podcast episode. So for me, who's like immersing myself in it, I can't imagine it for someone who's just like, you know, just. Just like maybe – like you said, like somebody who's a little bit older and they have never really explored sex outside of their one monogamous relationship. It's like there's just so much to learn and do.
1: Yeah. And I always like to say that I love to think that I'll be having like super kinky sex when I'm 66. Yeah. I've never even (laughs) tapped into yet. You know, the same thing is I've always had this idea that, well, I could join the circus, you know, later in my life or – Right you know i could learn to skydive or whatever it is you know just sort of approaching life with that you don't have to fit into what you think other people expect of you and it's never too late to you know live with joy especially in the times we're living in right now when we're facing so much change on every level yeah. i think we really we have to hold on to that you know if if this is the apocalypse I don't think it's the apocalypse. I just think it's a massive paradigm shift that we're in. And, and we really, yeah. I really see it when it comes to sexuality and gender and how, how we're addressing that. But if let's say it is, how do you want to live your, do you want to live your life in fear of not trying new things? So that's where I'm at. Then that's yeah. what the sex ed is here to do is to present you with a really unbiased way in which you can explore, for example, say how bondage can be used for a tool of healing. Or how you know, uh, I like for anal sex, for example. Uh, I get a lot of people saying that they don't want to have anal sex, or they're scared of it, or their partner keeps pressuring them and they don't want to do it. So how yes. do you navigate that conversation? Or let's say you love anal sex, um, but you want you want to like take that to the next level. I think it's just really trying to create a judgment free zone, and that means more, most importantly, you not judging yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that people, even people who consider themselves open about sex um, struggle with. I've found that even in personal relationships where it's where I have partners or I even find myself kind of wanting to ask for something, but maybe I haven't asked for it before. Or I've never had that conversation with a partner. And um, it's still scary. It's, it's you know, talking about those things, I think it's been a, a kind of a little bit ingrained in us by society that, like, it's still taboo. And so sometimes those conversations are not easy to have.
1: No, it's totally uncomfortable. But the thing is that when we come up against those things that are uncomfortable, like, no risk, no reward, you know? Right. We we have to face those things because the more that we can create these safe boundaries to play, the more freedom we have to let our freak flag fly. Yeah. Yeah. you know, I've asked. I I, I had one partner who, you know, at the time that we had this conversation, he was in his 40s, and I said, you know, I wanted him to show me how he masturbated, and he had so much shame. He also had a Catholic upbringing, wow. a Catholic school upbringing, and he had so much shame around that. He was so embarrassed by it that it really broke my heart. Uh, you know, because he didn't feel comfortable enough to – it. Would, that was, like, something he really separated from something yeah. that we could do together. That was, like, his private thing.
0: Wow. That's so interesting. And do you think that that came from a place of, like – like you said, do you think that came from his religious background and kind of being this this thing where masturbation is frowned upon and considered, like, quote, unquote, a sin or whatever? And so even subconsciously, he still, like, had shame around that?
1: I think we all, we tend to compartmentalize things when it comes to sex as well. So, for example, I see a lot of, um, heterosexual men in their, in their thirties and forties, particularly who have trouble, um, separating like sex, porn, sort of how, how they're wired in that way. And then when it comes into, it comes to like navigating an, an intimate personal, like long-term relationship, they, they can't bring what they sort of their desire response that they get from porn or viewing um, someone as a sex object. They can't into, you know, the relationship with another person because they're they have a deep fear of intimacy. I noticed that wow. a lot. Um, so I think part of it has to do with that um, is like this compartmentalizing of sex. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do think there is a lot of shame around masturbation still, even though culturally it's, it's much more acceptable for, for men to masturbate than it is for women because so right. many of the, even the media that, um, you know, we've all had growing up sort of celebrates the myth of like the horny teenage boy right. with like cum stains all over his sheets, you know, and the mom walks in right. on him or something, uh, or finds his stash of, well, I guess you know it used to be the stash of pornos, but you know finds his his browsing. search history.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Whereas you don't see that as much in in the media, like p- celebrating women masturbating openly. Right.
0: Right. I um I noticed that recently when I was watching. I'm not sure if you've seen Pen Fifteen. On I Hulu. love
1: Pen Fifteen. I finished the new season on the weekend. So good.
0: It's so good. But that was one thing that was so surpri- surprising to me in the first season. I was like, why is this like weird to me? Like, why is it weird watching this, like those masturbation scenes? And it was like, I, I remember thinking like, oh my God, it's because I don't think I've ever seen like a young woman masturbating in like mainstream media, like on like a streaming network like that. Like it, it was so real, but it was also so, like it felt so odd to see it because I haven't before.
1: Yeah, it makes you uncomfortable the first couple of times you see it. And then, you know, it normalizes something that's really healthy, that's really great for us that we should be doing, you know, every day if we can. Um, and that I think, you know, should be part of basic 101 of sex ed. It should be like mandatory that you discuss, that you are able to bring yourself to orgasm masturbating before you give that agency to another human being because what happens is when you raise a generation of kids who don't know how to make themselves come in a way that makes them feel good they yeah. start giving that power away to someone else to tell, to tell you hey i don't know what may, well, i don't know what i like so can you show me can you tell right. me what i like um, you know and that's where we get to this point you know when when you use the word late bloomer i think it's actually just that we haven't really spent the time getting to know ourselves and really who we are sexually because we haven't been taught to do that.
0: Well, that's so interesting because I feel like when I started becoming sexual I was that way, you know, I hadn't had any sort of sex ed and and any talks I had had uh, especially, I think as a woman, were not based around my pleasure, and they were they weren't based around pleasure at all. I feel like pleasure is you know barely a focus in sex ed, and so when I first started having sex, it was very it very much felt like I would I would leave a situation, and if I felt that that it had gone well or not, would depend on whether I felt like my partner had had a good time. Mm-hmm. And it took me so many years to start asking myself whether or not I was even having a good time,
1: yeah, there uh, I had a uh, Peggy Orenstein was a guest on the last season of our podcast who's a great author. Um she's written a book called Girls and Sex and One on Boys and Sex, where she's you know, she's a New York Times journalist. She's interviewed you know hundreds of of preteen and teenage. Kids and that she talks a lot about that about how we how we view pleasure, Um, you know. And the other thing is, I think we equate sex with self esteem. Yeah. You know. So it's like, oh, was I good? Well, if I'm good at this, then it means I'm good, I'm valuable, I'm worthy. Or if someone wants to have sex with me, then it means that I'm valuable and I'm worthy. You know. And they're totally different things. And I think, especially as young women we're kind of taught to model ourselves in that way. So we get we tr- get into these sometimes like screwy relationships um that maybe aren't the healthiest for us just because we feel like well, they think I'm, you know, I'm good at bad or mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm having sex with them or that's it's working. So do you know does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like again that's kind of how I a lot of my early relationships were was like, and I think too that the this kind of this kind of goes segues into slight, a slightly different conversation, but it also kind of made me start to think about the way that I view the act of sex like it was like if if it's not foreplay and then penetration and then the guy coming, then there's something wrong, and it's like all these like pressures and stuff start start to happen, and it was like if the guy doesn't doesn't finish, then like it doesn't really matter how I felt the entire situation was based on whether or not the guy came and not only was that unhealthy for me but it is actually unhealthy for my partner as well because it started to put pressure on them and, and they started to feel like oh well she didn't have a good time because I didn't come and I feel like that's something a lot of women especially struggle with is like when a guy doesn't ejaculate in, in sex you feel like the sex there's no way that the sex was good
1: that's why I think we need to get away from goal-based sex um, and from sex meaning like orgasm or penetration. You know, sex can include making out. Sex can include um, like touching or stroking or edging, bringing yourself to the brink of orgasm and not orgasming. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think we need to really widen our fl- flavor profile because you're right. It puts a lot of pressure not only on the person with the penis – um, who's already like, because of the rise of streaming porn, who's already got crazy performance anxiety. You know, there's been so many studies directly linking the rise of ejaculatory disorder and erectile dysfunction to the rise of streaming porn. Wow. This was not a huge issue, um, you know, for, for a great percentage of men across the world, like in the seventies and eighties. So you start to see this happen more and more in the nineties and two thousands once like Pornhub takes over.
0: Yeah, Um, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but Peggy Orenstein's books, Girls and Sex and Boys and Sex are are great reads. Um, It's super interesting because she really goes into like how early we learn this kind of stuff around pleasure and around, you know, who has the right to orgasm.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I think that that's a really actually good segue into our first question because it's from a friend of mine actually who's a female And I had never even thought about this question, but she asked, when people say sex gives you dopamine slash is good for you, does sex mean the act of intercourse or is it orgasm?
1: So an orgasm releases oxytocin and dopamine and different hormones that are pleasure hormones, you know, that flood your brain. That's why a lot of uh, times we can say like, I'm addicted to that. You know, I'm addicted to that dick or because you literally are flooded with these hormones that are making you, you're, you're emotionally bonding to that person that tends to happen more for women through the release of oxytocin. So that's actually not sex because you can get that. You can release that, um, those hormones from masturbating. You can do it yourself. So you can have the health benefit with or without a partner.
0: Got it, and I think that that's interesting. T- it's 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 kind of a perfect marrying of the two of the question and the conversation we had too around what does sex even mean? Because I think that a lot of times, you know, the 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 blanket statement is like sex is good for you, sex is this, but then we don't even really know how we're defining sex. So I think for someone like this who you know needed to understand that difference, I think that it, it, it's good to note that it's like it's orgasm. It can be by yourself and, it, you know, you can orgasm in a, in a million different ways and it doesn't have to be penetrative sex.
1: Yeah, and again, when we're it's not necessarily sex because we could also be, let's be expansive about what sex is. You know, I, I'm super into echosexuality, um, which is this idea of, you know, eroticism of nature. So you can say, I got fucked by the moon last night and it was amazing. And, God, you know, I maybe – Maybe you have this, I mean, I I'm someone who will literally go to the ocean and sit on a rock and, you know, in my bikini and like spread my legs and be like, just need to feel that energy. You yeah. know, and maybe that makes me a super hippie, but I get a lot of power from that, from that sure. experience and exchange with nature. So it can be whatever you want. There's there's really no, there's only a few hard no's when it comes to sex, when it comes right. to the subject matter, and that's consent. Of course. Um no sex with minors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and dead people are animals because they can't right. give you their consent.
0: right. And everything else is kind of like free for you to explore without shame or judgment or should be. Exactly.
1: And the biggest shame and judgment, I think is what we put on ourselves because yeah. we're constantly you know comparing and despairing. We're thinking about what do, what do I see in the media? what do I what are my friends doing? You know, what's how it's happening in porn? And so it's a combination of comparing ourselves against mostly fantasies and lies.
0: Right. Well, another um, another very, very common question that came up a ton, and um, we talked about this a little before before we started recording, but, like, I, I have a pretty young audience, mm-hmm. so this doesn't come as a huge surprise, but I got a ton of questions surrounding virginity. Um mm-hmm. And one that I thought was just worded really interesting to me was they asked, how do you ask to have sex for the first time? And I think the the maybe broader question to answer here that could also answer the question is, like, is that something – I don't know if morally is the right word, but is is that something that you should tell a partner for the first time? Or is it something that you maybe feel like you shouldn't have to? Is there, like – um you know, a standard on first-time sex and if that needs to be – I I personally think it should be, but does it kind of like need to be communicated first? And how should you go about that if so?
1: Everything needs to be communicated when it comes to sex. We have this idea that it just happens, Uh that it's like not sexy to talk about it. And that to me – like I always love to point to the example of taking cues from the kink and fetish community who create a lot of boundaries and communication about sex before they play let me yeah. let me give you an analogy Let's say you were gonna do some try something new like horseback riding or I don't brain surgery yeah. um, whatever it is or let's say you were gonna have brain surgery right or you're gonna go horseback riding but you're afraid of horses You uh-huh. would ask a lot of questions right like you would want to feel oh, really God, safe yeah. with that horse or in that brain surgeon's hands. So if you're gonna do something for the first time like I personally, you know, and I didn't have this experience, so I speak from, uh, you know, a place of wishing I had my advice. Yeah. Um, but I would want to have these, this – I would w- kind of want to spend some time first asking myself some questions like, okay, so I've never had – and first of all, what is virginity anyways? Is it a, It's a construct because, like, yeah. you could fuck yourself. You know, you'd be fingered. So if you're talking about penetrative sex with a penis and a vagina in a heterosexual context, yeah. you know – that's very specific, and that doesn't necessarily mean virginity. You're just measuring yourself against what the culture tells you virginity is, and the culture also tells you that you should not be a virgin by a certain age. But I actually get so many people in their like mid twenties tell me that they're virgins and they they're ashamed I, I ashamed around time.
0: it. That was one of my biggest questions. My biggest kind of submissions was like, I'm you know anywhere from twenty four to twenty seven, and I'm still a virgin. Is this a problem?
1: No, it's not a problem. It's only a problem if you think it is. Right. Because it's not a problem for me. Is it a problem for you?
0: Right. <laughs> no, right?
1: I don't care. I don't care if you're I just want you to be happy. I want you to be fulfilled and if I want you to be having good sex. Right. So if that means so again, so I guess I would start with the conversation with myself and say, okay, why do I wanna have this penetrative sex with this person? Do I just want to have penetrative sex with anyone because I just want to get over the stigma that I feel around it? Or is it something I'm really curious about and I want to do? Um, So I I kind of get clear on that. And then the second thing I would try to decide is, um, okay, so is it going to be with someone that I'm casual with? Will I feel okay with that? Will I feel okay if they ghost me after? Do I need to feel safe and vulnerable in this situation? Do I want it to be with someone who's like a close friend or who's my, you know, who I'm in a relationship with? And if so, either either case, I want to be really open with that person and say, I've never done this before. Yeah. I'm a little scared. And, you know, will it hurt? Or what if I don't have an orgasm the first time? Which is like right. highly unlikely that you will. I mean, I definitely didn't. I um, definitely. Amazing if you do. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Um, But, you know, I think, again, it's about really coming from a place where we feel so empowered in ourselves that the kind of sex we're having is good sex, not sex that makes us feel uncomfortable and makes us go into like, you know, months of spiraling or shame around it.
0: Right. Well, I think that this kind of goes back to your point of like if we're – if we're over-communicating and we're asking all the questions and we're not afraid to say what we want and what we need out of a sexual experience, then I think that there's a higher chance that we are going to consistently have better sex, whatever that means, because I think a lot of times I even look back personally and the quote-unquote like bad sex I've had was just a lot of non-communication and a lot of me being – maybe too insecure to ask for what i want or the other person didn't seem to want to communicate whatever the case was it kind of always went around the same common theme of lack of communication
1: yeah and um you know i think you can relate you can you can apply it to relationships as well whether it's romantic or non-romantic like if you and i are in a you know close friendship i want to be able to to tell you what i need to feel good about our friendship so you know hey i need for this to be like an equal exchange, or for you to be for you to be there for for me, if at three o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, and you, and then you right. get to say, "I don't feel like I can give you that," you know. So it's not right. like all these silent things. Like people want to engage in what I call psychic sex, which is thinking that the other person knows what you're thinking, right? And they don't. And uh, you know we get into that in relationships all the time. We're like afraid to actually state our needs, but I think a lot of that comes from not spending the time again to ask ourselves what we need.
0: Right. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. And I think, like you said, it's like if 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 younger people can kind of lay that foundation. And go into future relationships, adult adult relationships, knowing what they want and how to ask for it and really kind of what they need out of an experience, then I think it's going to – they're going to not have a lot of maybe the same opportunities that I did or maybe even you did younger before we were able to kind of really understand that those things are super important.
1: They are important and you can apply it to literally every area of your life. You can apply it to your professional life too. Because how do you know how to achieve what you want how to if like it's good to put yourself in that mind state of visualizing like this is how I want to feel with sex, yeah, it might not even be like uh, at the peak of your orgasm. It could be like, well, afterwards, I just want them to leave, or it could be like afterwards, I need to it will make me feel good to be um cuddled for a while, and then I need them to be in touch with me the next day, yeah. Like you can ask for those things. It's totally normal. That doesn't mean you're saying I need you to be my my partner forever and we're gonna fall in love and be together until we die. No, yeah, <laughs> you're just saying like these are the like I listen. If you're gonna give your body, if you're going to share your body and in, and in, in fluids with with someone else, like you want to, that's a privilege.
0: Absolutely, that's a privilege.
1: Like I would be grateful for you to share your body with me. So I want to, you know, and the thing is, unfortunately, I, be, I also believe that, um, women ev- are evolved at a faster rate than men. And like it or not, a lot of these things we have to take the lead on and teach them these skills because they don't have them. We're right. able to have these conversations openly with each other. It's acceptable at this point. It is not acceptable, especially for heterosexual men to do this. Right. So they're just like bumbling around in the dark. <laughs> They really are. They really are. So like, you know, it's the chances are they've not had someone have a direct conversation. So they're awkward. It's like their inner 12 year old comes out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I also feel like there's this pressure on heterosexual men to just know. It's Uh like, and I I don't know if that comes from porn or media or or a mix of the two or whatever, but it's like, I feel like there are so many men who like, Feel like if they ask these questions or have these conversations, it reflects on them poorly.
1: I mean, yeah, I think we all feel like we should. Again, goes back to what you're saying about late bloomer. It we all feel like we should have it figured out. But like, I don't know. I definitely didn't get a guidebook, uh, you know, that told me how to <laughs> handle life or relationships or my body. Or I mean, there were some books I got as a kid, like "Where Do I Come From and What's Happening to Me," that had like illustrations. I actually had uh, Nick Kroll and Andrew Goldberg, who created Big Mouth, uh, the show, on my podcast, and they got the same books as I did when I was a kid, (sighs) and those books were a big inspiration for the animation. So, you know, there hasn't really been a sophisticated, um, emotionally sophisticated uh, guidebook to any of this. So, of course, of course, they don't know. None of us have skills, so it's good if we can like keep reminding ourselves with that and have some patience. I always have to remind particularly heterosexual female friends who are in committed relationships that men have feelings too. That yeah. men are insecure and men are vulnerable and they feel all these same things.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a sense of like them not having that and and then they get more pressure put on them than you realize.
1: Yeah. And- let's cut let's cut everyone a break. I mean, we can be yeah. pissed off about the oppression of women for sure. I know I am. But then I guess I try to approach things from a problem-solving angle and, okay, so here's where we're at. This fucking sucks. And (laughs) what can I do to to change this?
0: Right. Absolutely. So this next question, um, I'm actually very curious as well as I feel like a lot of women kind of – a lot of women in heterosexual relationships have (laughs) – have this problem maybe, especially personally. I'm submissive and I do like sex to be on the rougher side. So the question is, I want rougher sex, but my boyfriend is scared of hurting me. How do we go about this?
1: Again, communication. Yeah. Um, again, like start talking about it. What is he scared of doing? Like you really got to break it down. Right. Um, like
0: get very nitty gritty with it.
1: Super nitty gritty. So for example, like choking. Um, I think every sex therapist I know would love for me to tell your, your listeners this or sex, um, sex professional, if you're going to choke someone, you need to be looking at them in the face because yeah. you need to know if they're turning blue <laughs> and all of this needs to be negotiated beforehand. If you're going to get into rougher sex, any kind of sex, is right. this okay? And it, and you know, this conversation should not happen when you're in the bedroom, right? This conversation should happen when you're fully clothed before, before anything starts to go down. Um, It's super awkward to, you know, and it's, it's, it's very intimidating to be in the midst of something and then go into the conversation. And I promise you, I know it sounds super scary, but like practice it with a friend.
0: (laughs) I love that advice. (laughs) Well, this is interesting too because I have had this conversation before with people that I've been seeing and I think the concept of talking about the nitty-gritty of sex and what you want to do outside of the bedroom is really scary for some people.
1: Intimacy is really scary for people, for, for, yeah. for most people. I mean, especially in, in the digital age that we're, that we're into when people have such a false sense of intimacy through texting, for example. Through having like whole digital relationships with people, but you're completely missing the inflection of the tone of their voice and body language and smells, all of these things. So, you know, if you want to have a more elevated sex life, you're going to have to get comfortable with intimacy, with being vulnerable. And if someone doesn't make you feel comfortable enough to do that, and they're not willing to do that, then I think you need to question whether they're the right person to have sex with, even yeah. casually.
0: Right. And because- again,
1: and that's why I will again point to the fetish and kink communities, because even if it's casual play, these conversations are the norm.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, that was one thing when you brought that up, I I, I I, totally agreed with you because I've talked about this a little bit before in the podcast, but that's one thing that I love so much about the fetish and kink community is it feels so accepted. It feels like there's so little judgment and there's so much communication that. It seems scary if you're interested in it before and then like the first time you talk to somebody who's like a veteran in that community, you like immediately feel the sense of relief because there's so much communication and so much just like acceptance and and, and a, a true intimacy to to uh, you know to be the submissive or to be the the Dom and have someone being you know totally fully trusting you with their body.
1: Yeah. And because you have the space to ask questions and not feel stupid for asking questions, which again goes back to like, think of it like you're getting brain surgery or you're going on a horse and you have this lifelong fear of horses. You've never been near a horse. I personally would ask so many questions and i would want to feel comforted by whoever was had the horse or was doing my brain surgery so it's it's kind of the same thing you got you got to look at it like sex is messy and it is vulnerable and it is awkward and it's not perfect and anyone who thinks that there's a person on the planet who is just performs perfectly every time and is like has multiple orgasms every 2 seconds and like while doing a cartwheel is that's just not true
0: Absolutely not. Oh my gosh. Absolutely not. So yeah, I think, and I also think once you start having those conversations, they become easier. Um, like the first time is always the scare. And this, again, this can go back to like, you know, horseback riding. The first time doing something is always the scariest, but like the more you do it, the more comfortable you become with it. And like the easier it becomes to have those conversations and ask those questions, I think.
1: For sure. And then you start to get what you want. Yeah. You know, like if if we don't ask for you what you want, you can't get it.
0: Right. It's like, then you start to see the positive effects of, of you know, talking about it openly. And like, it's the, the next time you have sex, you're like, oh my God, I got everything I needed. And it's like, then I think that also makes it easier because then it's like, oh, okay. There's there is a positive reward to this uncomfortableness.
1: For sure. For sure. Anything worth doing makes us a little uncomfortable, I think.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So this next question, <laughs> I feel like I have a very, very, very uh, short and specific answer to this question, but they said, how do I ask my ex for a hookup as friends?
1: Well, I want to hear what your answer is.
0: Well, my my, I guess my answer is don't. <laughs> well, um, why?
1: Because you think it's a bad idea? Sex? Yeah, is, I, sex well, I guess, and, and maybe it's
0: just maybe I'm I'm personalizing it too much. But not only in my experience, but when the experience of of friends of mine um, hooking up with somebody that you once loved or had on a more intimate level. As friends, and maybe this person is just like light years more um, evolved emotionally than I am, but it, it feels like a recipe for disaster.
1: <laughs> it would be for me. Um, I have no. had sex with an ex more than once. I, feel um, like I, right. th- <laughs> I think, like, you know what I mean? I think it's about knowing who you are and what your limitations are. You know, yeah. I have so many friends who are able to separate their head from their heart when it comes to sex. Yeah. And who can just have casual sex or who will say to me like the best way to get over someone is to get under someone, I don't right. personally believe that. That doesn't work for me. Yeah. So you know, what works for you might not work for your friends. So so it really depends. I think like before you do that, I mean if you want to achieve that, again, it just goes back to communication and ask very directly and lay those parameters and boundaries beforehand. But you really got to ask yourself, okay, Am I just, do I just want to have sex with my ex because I'm lonely and I feel like that's the only person I can have sex with? Do I secretly want to get them back? And right. I'm going to lie to myself and to them saying that it's no strings attached sex, but then I'm going to get, you know, emotionally involved and be in a mess in like four right. weeks. Right. So again, I think it comes down to knowing yourself and being really, really honest before you go down that road.
0: For sure. Absolutely. And that's one thing, too, that I give a lot of um, girlfriends advice on. And It's like if you say over and over and over and to the point where you convince yourself that you just want to have casual sex with someone who you initially wanted more and they wanted casual sex, it's like you have to ask yourself if you're doing it because you think that there's going to be some epiphany or coming to Jesus moment for that person where they wake up one day and decide, like, actually, I do want to be in a committed relationship.
1: Yeah. And we're also really good to lying, uh, to li- at lying to ourselves. Oh yeah. You know, we're really good at convincing. I think one big thing that I would love to teach people to do is how to tune into their gut intuition okay. um, because we spent a lot of time covering it up and you- we spent a lot of time using sex mindlessly, the way that we would use like food or alcohol or drugs to numb. not's not saying that any of those things can be used, you know, great to like, Enjoy and, and, but if we're using them to like sort of numb a void that we fill, you know, if we're using them to fill a void, then I don't think that's the best use of sex. Absolutely. Um, So I think like we've got to get super clear with ourselves on and have these uncomfortable conversations with ourselves first. For sure. I've definitely done that. I have a hundred percent been like, oh, I just want to have sex with him because there's no one else I really want right now. And I'm in this in-between time and I really want like a more fulfilling partnership, but I don't see anyone on the horizon. And so in the meantime, and then like literally what I'm doing is signaling to the universe that that all I want is unfulfilling sex.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of times with sex, but also with just relationships in general, people kind of get stuck with the same people for that reason where they you know, don't feel like they're going to find someone else that they maybe had that connection with or it just feels comfortable. And I think that's a big thing is a lot of people say that the pa- the future is like scary and uncertain, but I feel like, uh, you know, the present is like, it's just so comfortable and warm and easy to stay there. And but that's scarier to me because that feels like getting stuck in the same rhythms and being 50% happy because like at least you know you're going to be 50% happy and you know what i mean it's like you can wake up one day 10 years later and be stuck in that same situation versus you know taking a slightly scarier leap and then possibly finding yourself at 90% happiness with someone.
1: Yeah so but you're saying if it's with an ex it's actually stuck in the past. So it's the past, present and future. So the present would be really stopping and noticing your reasoning behind oh, why am I doing this? That's yeah. the present. Um, the past would be like, well, it's familiar, and a lot of times there's comfort in the familiar, even if it's a negative familiar. We tend Absolutely. to repeat our patterns, and you know, we basically keep doing that until we learn the lesson, until we wake up and have the tough conversation with ourselves, and and get and have some discipline in our choices.
0: For sure. For sure. Okay. I think we probably have time for one more question. And this one's really extra exciting to me because uh, I was surprised. I got so many questions about this topic. Um, And the question is, thoughts on cuckolding and guys who are into being cuckolded? And I have no idea why, but this cuckolding has been a pretty, like, common thing for me lately. Um, Not in my personal relationship, but very much in the questions I'm getting asked, as well as, like, friends and their relationships and, um, they'll be dating someone casually or someone they met on a dating app and that person will express interest in that. It just feels like it's come up a lot in conversations for me recently. Um, but I thought it was an interesting question on, um, on just kind of that kink.
1: Well, I think, Kinks also tend to go in, in trends. They tend to trend. And I do feel like cuckolding is trending right now. It's not necessarily a new thing at all.
0: Just, I think
1: we're more aware of it. There's more coverage of cuckolding in the media. Um, You know, it's like a, there's that to me is such a rainbow flavored question because, okay, one, is it giving um, the experience of being a voyeur kind of watching like 3d porn come to life so you're like literally you get to see what it looks like for your partner to be fucked right um two does it play into any of your fantasies around exploring you know outside of your prescribed sexuality um in a safe way um does that turn you on? Does it turn you on to see someone of the same sex as you like uh, having sex? So I think that's, that's an interesting thing, but, but you're not really, you don't really feel comfortable saying that. Does it make you feel empowered? Does it make you feel like um, a sense of prowess? Like, uh, you know, I can make my partner have sex with anyone. Like it, it, you know, and I think, like, I like to put myself in the mind of, I mean, there is something super erotic about the idea of, like, watching people have sex. I mean, that's Absolutely. why we watch porn. Right. Um, so I, I think it's like, one, it's a trend. But two, it's, it, it can be a myriad of, myriad of other things um, involved in that. So, you know, whether or not you want to have a conversation with them about that or, the, or if that's something that turns you on and you want to explore, great.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess there's also the question, I wonder if there is a correlation between, uh, when pe when people and maybe even specifically, um, men kind of dip their toes in the water of being of like a humiliation kink. And, and maybe that starts with something as simple as, you know, being dominated by a woman and then maybe, um, you know, getting their mouth spit in or, or being, uh, you know, A a million other things in in that kind of world of of humiliation fetish. And I wonder if this could kind of be almost like a subset of that where it's like I like the idea that I feel almost disrespected in a way. And obviously it's not because it would all be consensual. But if that's the feeling you kind of want to hold on to and go for, I guess that could be part of it as well.
1: I, I really think it depends on the on the in the individual because for one person, it could be like a desire to be humiliated. For another person, they could look at it like um, I'm – again, like I have so much prowess that I can get my partner to fuck whoever I want and sit right. and watch it. So it's really – I think it's like – I don't think that there's one size fits all when it comes to how we develop our erotic fantasies. Yeah. You know – Like someone could have – I could have – we could have a fantasy about the exact same thing and mine could come from, you know, something that happened to me in childhood that I'm playing out, you know, and someone else could be, you know, just super turned on on a visceral level.
0: Right, right, right. That's interesting because I never – I mean, I haven't thought about it too much in general, but I've really never thought about, I guess, the spectrum of reasons why something like cuckolding could be interesting to someone because that one's that's I mean, that's such a wide range that we just talked about all like from being humiliated to being like the dominant one who gets to make someone do anything are such opposite spectrums. So it's so interesting that one can't can kind of be experienced in such different ways by different people.
1: For sure, even like when you said you like to be submissive, there's a lot of power in submission. You know, like you can say on the surface, I like to be power. It's not necessarily that you like to be powerless. I think that there's a real power in saying I'm an empowered person, human being, woman, whatever, that I'm choosing to play submissive in this area of my life. I highly doubt since you've got your own podcast and this and that, it doesn't seem like you're going to approach life. As though you're going to let it happen to you. It's a choice True. that you're making.
0: Wow! I actually and even everything that plays about that
1: out with our pardon.
0: I said I never. I've never even thought about it that way, even for myself, as like a power so- thing for myself.
1: It is a power thing for sure. I mean, everything that plays out, the things that play out in our fantasies are not necessarily how we operate on the day to day. So again, barring those hard no's, which I spoke of earlier, all the things that run through your brain that you fantasize about are are okay. They don't mean that you're necessarily going to do it. And that doesn't mean that you're going to treat, you're going to humiliate people at the office or your friends or, or whatever. There's like a, a right. delineation.
0: Absolutely. And that's the last thing I think that's really important too, is I think a lot of times people have a hard time understanding that, that there is, that there is kind of like this this boundary of like real life and, and what I like to do in the bedroom or with my kink and with my fetish. It's the same thing. It's like you just said, like I'm not, I, I might want to be like, you know, disrespectful in the bedroom consensually, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be, like, disrespectful in everyday life to, like, you know, my waiter or something. Or, like, I like to be cuckolded, but that doesn't mean I'm going to, like, you know, ask my friend to have sex with my wife or whatever the case is. I feel like sometimes people think that, like, because somebody likes something sexually that that kind of, um, I guess, defines them as a person in everyday life. And that's, you know, couldn't be farther from the truth.
1: I mean, you would be surprised. Like, again, as I told you, I've written now two books on sex. I have lectured and spoken around the world on sex. I am the person that people come to all the time, all day, every day for so many years now asking questions. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had like a new friend come to my house for the first time and be like, oh my God, you're wearing an apron and you're like a 1950s housewife. Like I thought you would be wearing leopard print and swinging from the ceiling and have a dungeon. And I'm like, no, I, you know, I, I could direct you to a lot of friends of mine who have great dungeons. But me personally, I'm pretty like, yeah, I'm like a 1950s housewife over here, <laughs> um, but an open one. So I think there's like a very big difference between, you know, between those lines that people just got to like, stop being so uptight and judging everyone based on what what they're interested in sexually.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a really great place to end. Thank you so much for coming on and answering some of these questions and really just schooling the audience.
1: Oh, anytime. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. I'll make sure that the links to your podcast um, and anything else are down below. And um, thank you so much for being on. Perfect. Awesome.